0: I'm Marcus Warner. This is Chris Corsi uh, my friend and co-author. We're here this uh, today to talk about the four habits of joy-filled people. Chris, good to see you. Good to see you, Marcus. Looking Glad good. to be here. Thank you, man. Yeah. So uh, a lot of Pines people, when they when they first meet you, they're like, hey, Chris, you're really positive, really joyful. It's like if you, and they're wondering, you know, are you just always this way? Because you know, as we talk about joy-filled people, there's this myth out there that people are just born happy. So what's your story, Ben?
1: Yeah, you know, and it's uh, I love to share my story because in high school uh joy was not something you probably would have said if you met me or or felt because I was really running on fear marcus i I lived my life trying to avoid things that would hurt me, avoid things that were scary, avoid shame, and so I was actually pretty low joy throughout school, even into college, and uh you know, my wife uh, is probably the best litmus test for my joy, and uh, she she probably would have some good thoughts there. Um, and ba- basically, as we we are very purposeful about joy. You know, we practice what we've written about in this book as a way of life, and frankly, it's changed my life, Marcus. I mean, this material that we've put together has changed my life, who I was in high school and college, like. Who I am today is so much different.
0: Well, I know. It's like we opened the book with a story of, then you're in jail, right? Yeah. I mean, that was, like, I, I remember when you first told me that story. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I cannot picture Chris, like, ever being in trouble. Like, yeah. how, what what was going on there?
1: You know, this was my fear. I was, I discovered pseudo joy, which was alcohol. And so in college, I was Mr. Party. I, you know, on the outside, I seemed very happy. But on the inside, Marcus, I was miserable. Yeah. And so I actually got two DUIs in college uh, within a year, which is a really bad plan. And that really is what brought me to the end of myself. I realized that the fuel of fear is not working for my life. And I come from a very loving family, a lot of good friends great community, but something was missing that we now know was joy.
0: Well, now, I've heard you say, too, that since that happened, you feel like God used that to actually get you where you needed to be with your life, because the next step was uh, you were working at a center with highly traumatized people right and how what there's some things that happened there that trauma center that changed things forever for one you met your wife there right I did. I <laughs> and did. Uh, for another you met a guy not, named uh, Jim Wilder yeah. so tell us a little bit about this because this is really where you started discovering neuroscience so tell us a little bit about you know your discovery of the importance of neuroscience and how it related to joy
1: well you know I uh, when I got that second DUI Marcus I couldn't drive and the the summer it was summertime, right? So school I had a break from school, and I had a chance to do an internship with this uh, trauma center, basically that served a population of you know a lot of pain people who've had just really hard stuff in their lives. And my initial response is, wow, whatever these helpers have who are sitting with them and walking with them, I don't have it because again, I, I realized these were joyful people who were who were serving these precious ones that had some really hard stuff in their lives, and I came across. Um, some of the writings by Jim Wilder in The Life Model. And I started to learn about joy, and I started to realize, wow, joy is the missing piece. Like, I didn't have joy. Even though I came from a loving family and community, there wasn't a lot of joy. There was a lot of fear. And fear basically drove me to the end of myself, where what I was doing wasn't working. And so when I started to observe people in their own healing and their own recovery, I would find that they had joy, even though life was hard and painful. They had joy from the people who were walking with them, but they also discovered that there's a God who's glad to be with them. And that, like, I I watched that the whole summer, and I thought, you know what? That's that's that what a new thing for you too, right? Yeah, uh, this was. idea of
0: a God who was happy to see you was shocking. a new idea. Yeah, shocking. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I know when uh, when I first met uh, Dr. Wilder, and just uh, to give people a background, uh, Jim ran a counseling center in Southern California that where he was one of the first people to get a hold of the material coming from dr alan shore yeah, right. so dr alan shore has been called the einstein of modern psychiatry because he integrated so many different fields of what was going on he was one of the first pioneers taking advantage of like brain scan imagery of what yeah. was going on in real time in your brain when you yeah. have various emotions right that's right so jim got a hold of uh, this stuff before it was even published yeah. And started putting exercises together for his clients on this, so he had about a ten-year jumpstart, really, did. on the rest of the yeah. profession. Like today, we see joy everywhere. everywhere. We see, like yeah. Harvard has a joy class, yeah. Yale has a joy class. A lot, like you know, we see, yeah. this concept everywhere. But uh, he kind of had a head start on some of this, yeah. and uh, you got in on that too. Why don't you tell him a little bit about how uh, what your role was there and. In- you working know, with Jim,
1: I had a chance. To, uh, within a few years after that internship, I, I, you know, I finished college, started working at this ministry, serving people, and quickly met Jim, speaking at conferences on joy. Um, it was kind of a small community back then. People highly motivated, looking for resources, and Jim was one of the respected resources. He was already teaching a lot of this, um, you know, brain science from Alan Shore. And what Jim was doing was basically translating it, you know, to how does this become more practical? And so when I started working with Jim, um, I was pastor of a small community, Marcus, and I, I started to practice exercises with this small community of people with, you know, lots of pain. But I saw that as people started to practice these joy exercises, like it, it was like a light bulb coming on for people. And I started to see changes in people that I hadn't seen before. Like many were smiling for the first time and you know, looking hopeful and joyful. Oh, yeah,
0: no it's true. And I remember saying, I had a similar reaction when I found uh, discovered the neuroscience that was coming out of this. I was like, I dove into as much of it as, as I could. Uh, had the opportunity to write a book with uh, Dr. Wilder called Rare Leadership. And uh, we were applying everything he'd learned about this to relational skills and to what does it look like to be a mature leader. Uh, But in this case, we're talking about uh, when you talk about joy, sometimes you get the you know, impression we're talking about how how can I be happy all the time? Yeah. But that's not really what we mean by joy, is it? What do you, What no. do you mean when you talk about joy? Yeah,
1: you know, I, joy is this this. I like what you call it relational happiness. It's it's this glad to be togetherness, and that was the ingredient as people were practicing these exercises at the fellowship. Like they were glad to be together, and it was genuine. It wasn't artificial. It was, you know, joy is this life-giving, high-energy response, but it's also that feeling that, you know what, I'm going through some hard stuff, but I'm glad you're here with me, Marcus.
0: Yeah. So joy, we sometimes look at joy and peace as the flip sides of the same coin, coin, right? Because... Joy is this high-energy emotion, like, oh, it's you, yeah. Like, if a little kid came running up, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's my little guy. You know, that would be – it's a high-energy, yeah. spontaneous reaction. It's not a choice you're making. Like, I think I will choose to be happy yeah. to see my child, yeah. right? You know, right. It is a uh, – it's this idea of, I'm so excited to see you. But then peace is that low-energy, yeah. I'm happy to be with you. Kind of like, okay, it's you. We can be relaxed. Like, this is fun. and. And if I've got those kinds of people in my life... So what happens, I think, in terms of why some people are more naturally joyful than others has a lot to do with how much of this they got when they were really little, right? So from birth until about 18 months, maybe up to three years Mm -hmm. of age, if I missed out on somebody who was just delighted to see me all the time, if I wasn't the center of somebody's world, if there wasn't joy smiles all the time... I miss that. And we call that a trauma, right? A trauma is the absence of good things that I need. And so a lot of times we uh, find people who didn't get all of the joy that they needed when they were little. And as a result, now they find themselves adults missing out on this, like joy doesn't feel Mm -hmm. possible, let alone like essential. So what would you say to folks who've missed that, but they now find themselves adults, they're like, okay, I didn't get that joy training when I was supposed to get it. Is it still? Is there still hope for me? You know, that is a million dollar question. And this is exciting to
1: think about, right? So what Alan Shore was releasing was, you know, those first couple years of life, that's an ideal window for joy. But Jim was asking, well, well can adults who maybe didn't have that experience grow joy later, later on and change their brain? And that's what we wanted to test. And and the good news is, yes, that even though I might not have had a lot of glad-to-be-together joy in that window in early life, the good news is we can change our brain. We can change our brain, our nervous system, our relationships today. And that's really why we wrote this book. That Marcus. is
0: why we wrote the book, because it's like, there is actually, you can train your brain, and this is the good news, the joy, that your brain has the capacity to grow joy for as long as you live. and uh, But it takes intentionality right there's there are exercises you can do there are uh, skills you can develop that can form into habits and as they form habits your brain structure can begin to change right the uh, neurochemistry in your brain can begin to change and so that's what we're after here is how do we learn to uh, what are these habits that we need to learn and what is what do we need to do in order to grow our capacity for joy
1: that's it and that is life-changing marcus like just and that was really the ch- thing that changed my life so i went from someone who ran on the fuel of fear very anxious um very avoidant in my relationships like practicing those exercises that you know many are in the book that we've written practicing those exercises rewired my brain it changed my life and so when i even meet friends from high school and i might run into them they're pretty surprised to f- you know see me and figure out who i am today and I'm just, I just have to say, you know what, God
0: is, is really good at helping us grow joy in our relationships as well as grow joy with him. So here's the other thing, the opposite of joy. Like if I'm not running my brain on joy, one of the things that the neuroscientists have discovered is that if I'm not running on joy, I'm going to be running on fear, right? Yeah. So a, fear, uh, a fear-run brain is going to tend to see everything in terms of problems to be solved. Whereas a joy-filled brain tends to see life relationally for the relational possibilities, a fear uh, a fear-driven brain tends to fear map the world around yes. us. right. Can you give That's us right. an idea of what fear mapping looks like when somebody's living that way?
1: Yeah, you know what I see it as a difference between scanning for flowers or scanning for bees.
0: Right?
1: Like fear mapping is, I'm not really noticing the flowers, but I'm noticing the bees. And I'm thinking through, there might be a bee around the corner. And how do I avoid that bee? And what happens is, you know, your brain, as you said, you know, it hijacks, fear hijacks your attention. And so it's it's a very difficult way to live.
0: Well, one of the things we find is that you got to deal with problems in life. There's no avoiding the bees. Yeah. But what we want to avoid is a preoccupation with the problems, a preoccupation with the bees, In fact, one of the things we've discovered is that if you can get your brain in a place of joy for five consecutive minutes and then find the peace that comes out of being in that joy for five consecutive minutes that what happens is your brain learns not to get quite so upset about the problems and your brain learns to be resilient, right? It learns to bounce back more quickly. And so uh, because my brain is learning, you know what, even if there are bees, I can, I can get back to enjoying the flowers, right? It's like I can do both things, but what happens is I get stuck when my brain never learns how to, Let go of the problems long enough to really camp out in a place of joy. That's right. And you know what? The good news is, you know, joy is possible. And you said it, we just have
1: to practice and just making, even like you said, five minutes, just a little bit of practice. And that is what changed my life. That's really what Jen and I started to do early in our marriage, is recognizing we had a lot of fear and let's take a few minutes, you know, here and there throughout the day.
0: And practice some joy, and a little bit of joy, Marcus goes a long way. Yeah. So what we're going to be doing here, and what's at the core of the book we wrote, is the idea that we all have an inner world in which we live, and in that inner world, it's like we build a house, and this is where we spend our our time. It's like in our inner world house, and that inner world house is either going to be a fear house or it's going to be a joy house. And so this idea, if I if my whole life I've lived out of fear. This is the good news. It's like we can tear down this fear house, and we can learn how to build a joy house. And so that's where we're headed. Okay, so next week we're going to be talking about how do we lay the foundation for a joy house. If i got to tear down this fear house, i got to build the foundation. And then later we're going to talk about the the essential habits, right, that go into making this type of life possible. So if this sounds interesting to you, I hope that you'll join us. Uh, come to FourHabits.org website where you're going to find all three of our books. Right, We've got uh, The Four Habits of Joy-Filled People, The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages, and uh, The Four Habits of Raising Joy-Filled Kids. Yeah. So you'll find all three books there. We also have a 28-day challenge that you're going to find where you can go, and, and Chris has put together... You know, exercises. A lot of good ones, Marcus. Right? A lot yeah. of exercises that, because it takes your brain about 28 days to form a new habit. Yeah. So that's why the 28 day challenge. Do these exercises for 28 days. See if you don't notice a significant change in uh, in, in your joy levels. Yes. In the meantime, uh, that's it for today. We hope to see you next week, right back here on our Four Habits podcast.